0: Welcome to Pharmacy Fika, the podcast where pharmacy educators come to refuel
1: and reflect. Just like a Swedish Fika, this is your opportunity to pause and enjoy a beverage and something nice to eat. At the Pharmacy Fika, we
2: explore teaching and learning and how to navigate the highs and lows of academic life.
3: Think of it as a coffee break for your academic soul. So grab your favorite beverage and let's dive into today's conversation.
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Pharmacy FICA. I think this is Epidose number 24. We're heading into the holidays. It's a great time of year. Of course, we're winding down the semester. There's a lot of work at this time of the year, too. Just trying to make the space so that we can take some time off, get a good recovery experience for all of us, enjoy our families and our friends over the holiday season. I brought a nice cup of tea with me today, my matcha tea, my sweet matcha tea to enjoy. But I didn't bring a snack, unfortunately, but I'm trying to lose a little weight so that I can enjoy the holidays and eat as much as I
1: like. Well, Stuart, I brought my favorite kombucha made here in Australia and some delicious Aussie natural almonds, portion controlled, so I don't go too out of control and still maintain Jeff's respect.
2: Well, since we're on the almond kick, I have Rosemary Marcona almonds, which I didn't know what a Marcona almond was, but apparently it's softer and more buttery.
1: Mm.
3: So I've done like I've done in the past. I dug into my race bag and cook out this remaining food and stuff. So I've got water with electrolyte tablets and a dark chocolate and coconut bites, I guess is what they are.
0: And are they lint? No, they were they You're were contained. In the of they, your bag. they
3: were contained in a bag, in their own in their own separate baggie.
0: I'm always a little worried about you, Jeff. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> uh, well, Kristen's going to lead us in today's conversation. She's been, as many of our listeners know, involved in the pharmacy writing challenge for the last few years, and we thought that would be a great topic to discuss. So Kristen, I'll hand it over to you.
2: Thank you. Yes, I am super passionate about writing and I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. I know I'm going to learn a lot from you guys and just get inspiration for the new year. Many of us are, are closing out the semester, but January is just around the corner. So let's get started. My first question, how do you motivate yourself to write?
1: Well, Kristen, I would say, historically, you've been a great motivator for me. And meeting you and feeling your passion for helping others normalize writing as part of their lives is something that helped me to become a better writer. But even though I wasn't naturally a person who loved to write, I did love to read. And Mm -hmm. so what I started doing, and some of this was, again, inspired by some advice you gave me, was instead of reading my papers only for the the science, pay a little more attention to how that writing is is done. And so that motivates me. I do a reading-writing alternation. So it's not hard to read, but I pay attention to the actual writing and then I can't read again until I've written. So that's how I motivate myself.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. I love that. Well, there is such an interplay between reading and writing, right? It, mm. it inspires us, and, and to read the style mm. that someone else has, the approach that they take, and then be able to take that to our own writing. I love that.
3: So when you ask that question, two sort of interrelated things came to mind. They kind of look far apart, but they actually, they cross over, is Jocko Willink wrote in about motivation and And he says motivation is a fickle concept, and you, you can't rely on it. If you try to rely on motivation, you'll never get where you want to go. So he says you concentrate on discipline. So then the other thing that automatically came to mind where the crossover is, this concept of behavioral activation theory, that it takes the reverse. Instead of letting emotion drive behavior, it's that behavior actually drives the emotion. So starting even if i don't feel like doing something whether it's writing or something else the trick is okay what's the least amount of time i'm willing to devote to that and if it's five minutes or ten minutes or whatever it is uh, getting into it and almost always then once i'm into it i'm fine
0: it's interesting i kind of combine both of these because i block a time on my calendar To write something and I have a specific goal for it. But what often gets me started is reading something that I'm going to be using in my writing. And so I have a specific goal. I've set it a priori ahead of time on what I'm going to do. So I'm kind of disciplined that way. But it often takes reading through something that I'm going to be using in that writing to get me started. But I agree with Jeff. It's sort of like just setting the time and setting a goal to do something. And even if it doesn't all come to fruition, once I get started, I usually flow, right? I get into a flow state, but it is hard to get started sometimes. And just having the discipline to, to put yourself into that place, I think is, is kind of key.
2: I think for some of us too, the getting started becomes a hurdle because we have all kinds of expectations for the writing, right? We put pressure on ourselves And so letting go of some of that, like some days are going to be good writing days and some days are not going to be so great. Some days I'm going to have lots of words, lots, lots of ideas. Like it it varies, it varies and that's okay.
0: Yes. I I find that starting out with the easier things gets for me like a, a success cycle when I'm doing a project. So the first thing I might tackle is a table Mm -hmm. or a figure or just the introduction, or or maybe the methods, because if it's a research paper, I already have the methods, and I'm just rewriting them in a way for the paper. And that early success keeps me going, because often the discussion is the hard part. It's not been written yet, and you have a lot to write about there. But if I get other sections of it written, I feel like I'm motivated, I'm I'm making progress.
1: I wonder, too, I've noticed now that most of my projects are more team-oriented. And within my little project writing group, one thing that helps me is to a priori decide who feels like they're a drafter and who feels like they're an editor. Because I think we might naturally go into that. For me, I can draft. I can put words on paper because I have very thick skin about changing those words later. I don't feel a lot of like, this is my precious baby, and if we change one word, I'm going to cry. Whereas other people, I think, have a much keener eye for the editing. And so within a team, so far in my life, it's almost been there's a couple of drafters, a couple of editors. And being able to sort of play a role, not necessarily be Tina, but say my role here is to draft, which means much of it's probably going to get cut. (laughs) We're going to change some terminology as we go along. So I think... What motivates me is sort of having a role to play in my team project.
2: Some people refer to that as starters and finishers.
0: Yes. Yeah, I like editing more than I like writing. I like the polishing, moving things around, finding the flow, getting the sentence structures more concise and conveying the ideas in a way that's approachable and all that I I like, but getting the ideas down, I think because I'm already in the editing mode in my Mm -hmm. head and I'm already editing what I'm writing even before I've written Mm. it. And it's, that's not a good thing. You know, people are good starters. Just get the ideas out and I'm not so great with that. I will admit.
1: I'm old enough that my original papers were, I was handwriting them. And some people still do it that way. When I was handwriting, I definitely didn't edit as I wrote because you can't really, or you'll be, it'll be super messy. You know? Whereas when I type, I am editing because you are like, Oh, there's a squiggly line under that word. Let me at least correct that. Or, Oh, it's giving me a grammarly advice. And so that's another thing that motivates me is I usually whiteboard my papers. I, I really just force myself to get all this to start. Uh,
3: I'm a write things, and it it's out of order. Sometimes it's a sentence, sometimes it's three sentences. It's when ideas come to mind, I write them, and they're sometimes they're not even in a section, right? They're just things that I want to get out, and then I'll later go back and craft them.
1: Hmm.
3: So you're a good starter. I'm more of a starter.
0: Well,
2: thanks for the conversation about motivation and, and how we go about the work. I think I came up through the ranks at a time when you followed what your mentor did. You observed certain people, often not many, and then you had tried to adopt their habits because what else would you do? You know, like they're successful, so I should do that too. And I think we've done much better more recently to say there's not one way that we should write, that people find a system that works for mm. them. So let's turn our attention to pleasure in writing, which – for some people, those words might not fit together. Pleasure and writing don't fit together. <laughs> but I would encourage us to to think about that. I'm curious how you bring some pleasure to the work that you do in writing.
1: Well, this has changed over time for me. I would definitely say as an early academic and early writer, I was following a mentor who was fantastic, but at that time, he was 30 years ahead of me. And he wrote like, person who had had different lived experience and it was very good but I was always like how how could I make myself sound like him and it really wasn't authentic and I think that made it not pleasurable as I learned more and got more experience and could put my imposter syndrome over to the side a little bit I was like okay what what is my writing style going to be and also I was studying education at the time. And so I just became short sentences active voice. That's my way. <laughs> and so what gives me pleasure is taking, here's a complicated, here's a theory, here's a framework. What is the most concise way I can describe this in active voice? so that everybody knows who's doing the action. And this is very controversial. There'll be plenty of people that write back and say, our journalistic style is definitely, maybe not longer sentences, but passive voice. But that gave me pleasure, because it's part of the puzzle of figuring out, how do you tell this story? Instead of in the most complicated way, which I feel will make me sound very smart, the most simplest way, which will enable me to convey a message to, people at every level of their career. And Tina, I think that really rings true for you too, because I see you reaching out and
2: and seeking to connect. And so you're trying to connect through your writing. And I think sometimes we, we think of writing as a solitary process, but we are writing for people. We get pleasure from the fact that someone is going to read this and, <laughs> and is appreciate yes. the words that we crafted.
0: Yeah. I like, I think when I enjoy writing the most is when I can write about me In my experience. And that may sound very egocentric, but I do like writing commentaries and editorials because you're allowed to say I or we as part of it. Whereas when we're writing technical stuff or scientific papers, we're supposed to be dispassionate and objective and we don't talk about us being a part of the process. And I don't like that as much. I like having me and my voice as part of what I write. And it it makes me feel like I'm conveying what I think is important directly to the reader. Uh, It's a more personal connection.
3: And so as as I've gone on uh, in my career, I've fortunately now at a point to where I get to write about more of the stuff that I want to write about or like to write about as opposed to earlier in the career, you're writing about whatever you can write about, right? Just to do it. (laughs) I think the thing that brings me the most pleasure is the the creative aspect and i desperately want to be a creative person i would love to build things or to paint or all kinds of stuff that i'm just that's not me i don't have it in me but i love to create things and the writing is the one time that i can a little smidge of of creativity
0: i think it's human nature to like to create things. And writing is something that we can all produce as academics. Is probably our biggest thing that we are producing that will have longevity. <laughs> I mean, that's the beauty of writing, particularly in forms and formats that will be cataloged and, and in a library someplace for potentially generations to come. So that's kind of exciting.
1: I think what appeals to me is sort of what appeals to Jeff. You're creating something. And you want it to be discussed. You want it, in some cases, it may even be mildly controversial. I'll I'll never forget a piece that I had written for AJPE. And um, at the time, somebody wrote back and said, oh, somebody's written a letter. And I was like, oh, my gosh. First of all, that means one person read that article, (laughs) which is great. (laughs) And two, absolutely, there's debate about this. And I was so happy And this this staff member at the time was just like, oh, usually people get really kind of defensive about it. And I'm like, I would much rather write something that increases discourse about things than just this paper is over to the side and I get my academic credit for it. Tick in my annual review. But it's not actually changing the way we think about something or in my case, usually education. So I think commentaries and editorials should be part of the assignment of an academic. I agree because it forces you to
2: codify those ideas and what are you going to put a stake in the sand on? What are you passionate about? But you heard it here, folks. Tina called for letters. I heard her call for letters. Letters are meaningful. We love to hear some (laughs) academic debate that is actually codified in the literature.
0: Well, what's interesting about letters, though, is because we now have social media outlets and all that, Mm -hmm. people can react in real time and send you lots of feedback well before a letter would ever get published. So letters have largely gone by the wayside, which is unfortunate because future generations won't see that discourse. Now the discourse happens on other platforms, but it's not codified for generations to come, which is a little unfortunate.
1: But that's where publishing can change though, right? They can have, uh, some journals do have the capacity to have online first responses. It's not exactly the same, but I suspect that how we approach that discourse may be different. It might be influenced by social media, but we should still do it. So we've danced around it a little bit,
2: but let's talk about technology in writing. How has technology changed the way that you write when you think about the course of your career?
0: Well, I'm not so old that I wasn't using computers in the early 1980s. Well, when I went to high school, it was not commonplace to write other than on a typewriter or with your handwriting. By the time I was in college for my first degree, computers were pretty commonplace, or at least I was using one and have always written with a computer now. And there's lots of reasons why that's efficient. But to Tina's point, there's something tactile about, like, I always write my outlines Mm -hmm. on paper. And so when I initially create the ideas, I'm usually in a notebook and a paper. But from there, I go to go to the computer. But technology has helped to improve like tools like Grammarly and other tools to help with the writing process. I mean, ChatGPT is another one. I haven't used it all that much, Mm -hmm. but certainly grammar tools I use all the time. So those would be the things I would say. I go from paper from an outline to a computer to start the writing process, and then the computer tools help me during the writing process to refine the writing.
1: So one way I use technology, and I've definitely played around a lot with ChatGPT For this, I'm trying to get better at queries and I'm trying to understand what it finds. But let's say I had a small research team, maybe four people or maybe five who were involved in a project. And maybe one of those people definitely met the criteria for authorship, but as a more minor player. And we would typically write the paper and then ask that more minor player to write the abstract from the paper. Say, read the paper and write the abstract from it. So we can make sure that what we think we've said and how we've made things important is coming through. Now, I was on a a team recently, and we were like, let's see what AI says the abstract should be. And it is very helpful to say, we thought the most important message was, you know, apples are crunchy, and it's coming back with, Bananas are not crunchy. And you can almost use this as as to support your training for getting that message clearer.
3: So I didn't really start my academic writing career until I was mid to late 30. So I didn't do any of this with typewriters or handwritten stuff. It was computer and Word was all well developed. So I was thinking, well, I haven't really changed that much. But then I also realized that citation tools came along. Uh, mm-hmm. sharing apps of Google Docs, and that those came along that made things change tremendously. And uh, of, of course, ChatGPT is probably the first piece of technology that's changed the actual writing process and using it to do the things like the abstracts to clean up what I've written so I can have the ideas, and I, and I know it, it doesn't sound exactly right, but... <laughs> ChatGPT has done a really good job of cleaning those thoughts up and making them sound a lot better.
1: I'm so glad you brought up Google Docs, SharePoint, whatever kind of shared platform, because group writing used to be sequential. Be like, Jeff's going to work on this for this period, then he's going to hand it over to Kristen. Kristen's going to hand it over. And I love being able to work at the same time. And instead of it sounding like Jeff wrote page one, Kristen wrote page two, Stuart, like being able to pull that together. It does take a lot more trust. I mean, I've had people that say, oh, I don't know about putting my stuff out there until it's perfect. But we can make it perfect together.
0: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, it's made the writing time when you're in a writing group. So much faster. Like you've cut the time at least by half. Yeah. If you have five writers, yeah. m- much, much quicker. And I do agree. I think everybody looking at it, you start to get comments. And even if they're not actively changing your words, you're you're getting feedback as you're writing it that's so helpful. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, the whole shared experience of writing in a shared space has really changed. I hadn't really thought about mm-hmm. that until you brought it up. Mm-hmm. So it really is a significant change in the process.
2: So we've been talking a little bit about co-writing, and we used to co-write in really laborious ways. And now we can do them more real time and it enhances the social part of the writing process, right? We're not so isolated. I love holding sessions where all the authors are on zoom and all on Google docs and we're all writing in different places and we're calling on one another and saying, Hey, I just, I did this up in paragraph two. Can you come look at it? Cause I'm having trouble with this. And it becomes like this active process of figuring out how to co-write together. Every team's different. Yeah. Like, Is it just, Passing it off to one another, tag, you're it, or is it together in it? Even writing the same sentences together, some teams will do, like literally sentence by sentence. Um, Everybody has their own process. I want to ask a little bit about after you have the paper published Mm -hmm. because I think for many years that was the end. Like it's published, hooray, (laughs) on to the next project. But now there's starting to be more expectations for some responsibility on the part of the authors to so to speak promote that work after the fact and so I'm curious what kinds of post-publication dissemination you've
3: tried I think for me personally I will post something maybe one time on social media but I'm not I'm not very comfortable about just Mm -hmm. pushing stuff out there but I'll do it one time and there it is and whatever happens happens being a
0: journal editor for the journal of the american college of clinical pharmacy are inviting authors of papers that they think will be of interest to their audience to participate in a podcast about their paper and that's nice because it goes beyond the paper itself you understand a bit more about the background and what motivated someone to write about it, how it, how the question, the research question arised for them, the trials and tribulations of conducting the study. You, you can dive into, which you're not going to reveal in a written paper, the challenges of recruiting patients, for example, or some novel things that they did and how they came up with that idea are all nice to contextualize the paper that's in a different format and then also promotes the paper. So I do like podcasting is a medium for that. And it's a bit more long form than most social media. You only get a little snippet and all you're doing really is feels like an advertisement. And I agree with you, Jeff, it just feels self-promoting rather than something that's more discourse, like get into a better understanding about where this paper came from and, and why we approached it the way we did. Yeah. And
3: I've loved doing that. And I've had a couple of opportunities to talk about the behind-the-scenes stuff of, of a paper and where it come from and where the ideas, and then diving in into specific sections because sometimes that's actually more interesting than the paper itself. And especially if it's a group project, like we had discussions over this and so-and-so went out and they had a convincing <laughs> argument of why this was the right thing. So I, I actually love doing that, and I wish there was more opportunities to do that with, with some papers.
1: I've never been asked to do a podcast about a paper, but – I have been asked to create like a blog post that's a companion to that sort of goes behind the scenes. And I I loved it because we could talk about all the stuff that you're like, this would have gotten edited out if we tried to put this in the paper. But I think it's a pretty powerful way to to show the, the whole process and impact of a potential subject area.
3: Yeah, And I think that's great for new writers or mentees to learn about the writing process because they see the end result. And may not know all of the things that's gone on behind and how a paper may have started. And it didn't finish the way maybe it was intended or things were put in at the last minute or they were taken out. And when it went through the review process, how it got distorted maybe or made exceptionally better.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: So I want to ask about success in writing. Sometimes we have pretty set ideas about what success is. And I'm hoping we can add to that conversation. Success as productivity, certainly getting it published, yes. But what else do you consider to be success when you're writing?
3: So I think of success of a series of micro successes that lead to a macro success. So, you know, if I get an outline done, I feel successful at that part. And then maybe it's a sentence and then maybe it's a paragraph and then it's a section. And all of those are Pieces, Because, you know, it's breaking that paper down into the 40 or 50 or 60 different steps instead of like trudging through it. And it's not successful until it's gone through the review process and the rewriting. But each of those little micro successes that helps sustain that motivation with the ultimate success is after it's published. And then maybe it's impactful in some way, whatever, however you want to define impactful.
0: Yeah. Over the years thinking about what what is success, whatever part of your life. And I think having an identity and and the things that you do as part of that identity. So I want to be a successful academic and scholar. And that is a whole suite of things that I do to live out that identity. Publishing papers is one of them, but it's not the only part of it. And so all those things that I might do as an output of trying to be intellectually stimulating new thoughts in the world and contributing to the world's knowledge and also educating others about things that are already known and packaging them in a way that makes it more approachable for others. All of that is, I think, a measure of success. If I hear from people that it's helped influence them, that that's sufficient. Obviously getting a paper published someplace is is great but I'm, I'm all for bypassing it. Like, you know, journals are a hurdle publishing and publishing in other formats where you have complete control over what you say is equally beneficial to the world. And I realize we don't get credit from a, from a standpoint of being promoted because we need to have the seal of approval of being in peer reviewed journals. But nonetheless, I think my contributions are just as valuable In these other formats and not just peer-reviewed journals so success is getting the word out there and being able to live it
3: that's for me yeah and Stuart I just I just wrote a promotion letter for someone who has published uh, a lot in non-traditional circles that have been very impactful and that was a part I tried to play up a a lot because if you just looked at peer-reviewed manuscripts they were good. They were plenty good. But I think the bigger impact has come on the other side of things.
1: Well, I think that good to call out that those those rules for what success looks like were written for a different time, a different place, and a different demography. When we waited every month for the print journal to come, and that was the only way we knew that new knowledge was out there. And this is a journey over time, but when I look at one of my most frequently cited papers, and this is prior to me becoming more education focused, it was initially cited a lot because it was the standard at that time. It was about floating meter dose inhalers that'll give all the practitioners a big laugh. And then now it's still cited as what not to do. So I'm like, it influenced this way. And now, thankfully, it's influencing back the other way. And so I actually, I think it's time for us to change some of those promotion and tenure standards about what what is impactful work and what is the influence model. I don't think it's only through those traditional sources that are easier to count.
2: Well, that sounds like a future FICA episode if I ever heard one. (laughs) Let's talk about impact and influence at some point. That sounds like a lot of fun. So I think I'll I'll draw us to a close here. I hope you enjoyed the conversation about writing, specifically about how we might enjoy writing,
1: mm-hmm. how we might motivate ourselves to write and the systems that we use. And KJ, do we do you have dates for spring's North Americans RX Writing Challenge yet? I do. I will make sure that they get
2: onto the website. Excellent. Yes, join us for the RX Writing Challenge. It's a 14-day Focused attention on writing.
1: It's a great starter drug for writing.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and we'll see you in the new year. Cheers. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy
1: coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, Please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us.
3: You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space.
1: Got a question or
2: want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Pharmacy Bye for now. Namaste.
3: Das vidanya.
2: Au revoir.